This is the Food Factor Podcast, the show that talks about the connection between your health and what you eat or don't eat. I'm your host, Stephanie Mahachek, clinical nutritionist, health coach, science nerd, perma student, and mother of four. I love dogs, babies, and most of all, talking about all things health, wellness, and the weirdness of the human body. Thank you for being here. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Food Factor Podcast. I am your host, Stephanie Mahachek, and today we are going to be talking about a topic that the majority of people who took a survey that I sent out a few months ago, the majority of of you were concerned about, and that topic is sugar. If you are worried about sugar or sugar cravings, either around the holidays or really any time of the year, you are not alone. Over 75 or around 78, I think it was, percent of those people who took my survey said that sugar was something they struggle with. Now, in case you didn't know, the name Food Factor is what I named my business and this podcast because I'm a firm believer that food and nutrition is the missing or at least one of the most important factors of our health. So when I bring up topics like sugar, this is not meant to be a shame or guilt conversation. So all of you uh, intuitive eating friends that I have, you know, just, just relax. I haven't gone over to the dark side of dieting, but my goal is to show you the cause and effect of what foods of diff- or different ingredients can do to your body and how they impact your health. I don't think anyone should ever feel guilty about what they eat unless you steal it, of course, but even then there's some caveats to it. The choice is always yours. And in the case of sugar, even when you think it's not your choice or you feel such strong cravings all the time, there's a physiological and sometimes emotional and sometimes habitual reason for those cravings, which is where I'd like to spend some time talking about. So let's dive in. You tend to see sugar listed on a food label in grams, right? You might see 10 grams, you might see 40 grams of sugar in something, but you tend to hear about sugar in teaspoons. So if you're wondering, well, what's the conversion? I see it in grams, but I hear about it in teaspoons. What's the recommendation? What is it? The conversion is one teaspoon of sugar is about four grams. So actually it's 4.2, but it makes the math a lot easier and the food labels will usually round down. Um, so something that has you know 40 grams of sugar, it's about 10 teaspoons. You with me? So have you ever measured out 10 teaspoons of sugar? Go ahead and do that in a bowl real quick. Go ahead, I'll wait. No, I'm kidding. But it's a lot of sugar. And if you ever wanna get a visual of what that looks like, try that out one time and just measure out 10 teaspoons of sugar. So if you imagine, I want to give you another visual, imagine a standard can of Coke. A standard can of Coke, as far as last I looked, had 39 grams of sugar. So we're going to just round it up to 40 just to make it easier. So imagine measuring 10 teaspoons of sugar into that one can. That's about what you're getting. Said another way, if you measure 10 teaspoons into a bowl, what would happen if you just straight up poured that bowl into your mouth and ate it? It's essentially what you're doing when you drink a can of Coke. A 20 ounce bottle, by the way, of Coke has 65 grams. So that's about 16-ish teaspoons. And 
I know what you might be thinking. If you think you're safe because you drink Diet Coke, oh my friend. (laughs) Oh no, no, no. This isn't a safer alternative, but we'll get into that in a minute. I'm definitely going to talk about alternative or uh, artificial sweeteners. So how much are we Americans actually eating of sugar? You may be thinking, and I hear this a lot too, I don't really have sweets. Well, you might not, but you may be getting more than you actually think. Just because you don't have stereotypically sweetened foods doesn't mean you're not still getting it in your diet in some way. 40% of the average American's daily calorie intake comes from added sugar and empty calorie foods. 40% of what you're eating in a typical day. That's average American. I know don't get all defensive and think, well, I know that's not me. I'm just giving you some idea of what the average American does. So that stat came from the Journal of American Diabetes Association. And they did that poll and and they discovered that 40% of the average American's daily calorie intake comes from added sugar and empty calorie foods. That means 40% of what we're eating doesn't provide us with nutrients. They're not beneficial in any way. The Diabetes Council estimates that the average American eats around 82 to 126 grams of sugar daily. So again, with that conversion, I already did it ahead of time. It's about 20 to 31 and a half teaspoons daily. I'm also aware that this is a huge range, but that's because when they did a survey with, I think it was like 30,000 Americans, They did a survey, but most people couldn't accurately recall what they ate in a day and and how much of what they ate in a day. So this number may even be higher, actually. So most of the sugar we consume comes from drinks, sodas, juices, flavored waters, iced tea, coffee drinks, all of those. But you can also find sugar in things like bread or ketchup or barbecue sauces or yogurts or ice cream or marinades and also dressings. So a lot of things that you tend to not associate with being sweet actually has some added sugar in there and that stuff tends to add up. Excess sugar has been linked to many health problems. That may not come as a shock to you, but shall I list a few anyways? All right. Diabetes is probably the most commonly associated condition, but sugar also impacts blood pressure. I I talked about this. Go back and check out episodes 5 and 13. It's also linked to NAFLD, which is non-alcoholic fatty liver disease in both adults, but also kids. I talk about that in episode 15. That's a shocking thing that there's that most uh, or that many medical professionals are seeing now in kids that non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and it's associated with artificial sweeteners fructose and sugar um, weight gain and obesity is also associated with excess sugar and depression and mood disorders is also linked to it joint pain autoimmune conditions the list goes on and on so let's talk quick about some of the other ways that sugar can impact your body. I find, I find these so interesting and I know I've likely brought them up before, but if you're newer to the podcast or to my social media and don't want to scroll back throughout the years, I'll just mention them again. Sugar actually breaks down and degrades collagen. Now, if you're thinking, well, that doesn't sound like such a big deal. Your skin is made up of collagen and elastin. It's what makes it tight and holds its shape, so to speak. And when you start losing collagen, it can cause wrinkles. 
And if that wasn't enough, it also causes inflammation within the skin and inflamed skin for those of you who have suffered before with eczema or rosacea or acne or psoriasis, you know that inflamed skin or things that add more inflammation to your skin is not something that you technically desire at all. So does that mean that if you stop eating sugar, you won't get wrinkles? I mean, no, wouldn't that be nice if it was that easy? There are obviously other things like UV rays and environmental chemicals and and other things that can contribute to how your skin looks. But depending on how much sugar you're consuming, it could also be a major contributor. And I won't go into too much detail because I've done other episodes on sugar and how it impacts the liver and the brain and the joints. So you can definitely go back and listen to those. But the key thing to take away is sugar is inflammatory. And any condition that is triggered by inflammation, which by the way, are most chronic conditions, you have to look at all sources of inflammation. Diet, specifically sugar, is a major one for many people. You are eating multiple times a day. The food choices that you are making multiple times a day or what you're drinking multiple times a day is going to have an impact in some way on your body. Again, food factor. Food is a factor in our health. One more thing I'd like to share on sugar in your body. You consume something with sugar, okay? Let's, let's, let's do a scenario. You consume something with sugar and you kind of forget about it, right? Like you just eat it and you're like, oh, it just goes away. Well, your body now has to go to work. It has to process it and it's, it's dealing with it. Vitamin C is a nutrient that most people are familiar with. It's heavily consumed during pandemics or cold and flu season or when you're starting to get sick in some way, we tend to go for the vitamin C. We know it's in things like fruits and veggies, and and it's important as a nutrient. It prevents scurvy, for crying out loud. It's a a potent antioxidant. It's all good, right? It's a good good nutrient to get. Well, you you can't really just inject yourself with vitamin C and expect it to work. I mean, there are infusions, but that's not where I'm going with this. My point is your body has to be able to absorb the vitamin C. I mean, it has to be able to absorb really any nutrient, but vitamin C is the one we're talking about. Now, you're listening to a podcast and not watching a video right now, so I'm going to have to create an image in your mind. So imagine if you will, you zoom in really close to a cell in your body, a human cell. Human cells, it doesn't matter what it's a cell of or for, it could be a muscle cell, it could be you know from the gut lining, could be a skin cell, it doesn't matter. Pick one if it helps you, but it really doesn't matter. But a human cell, to me, looks like kind of an oblong bubble smushed up next to other bubbles. Now, on each of those little bubbles, you have receptors. These look like little grabbers, like in an arcade game where you try to win that stuffed animal. You have these little grabbers for various things like hormones or glucose or nutrients, whatever, whatever the cell needs. This is how anything in your body like hormones or glucose or nutrients actually get into the cell. It has to have a receptor that lets it into the cell if it's going to get in. Otherwise, it can't get in and it just kind of bounces off. So the receptors are highly specific for each thing that is allowed in the cell. This is, you know, by design, kind of like a key. You don't want a bacteria microbe just coming up to the cell wall and hopping into a receptor and entering in the cell. Or, you know, if the door analogy is better, you wouldn't want a bad bacteria criminal using any key to get into your house. 
This helps keep the cell healthy. So vitamin C has the same key or receptor as glucose. And glucose, in case you didn't listen to episode five, is what sugar gets broken down to in the body. And glucose is the number one fuel source for every cell. You can get nourishing forms of glucose from foods such as fruits and vegetables, or get processed forms from pastas and breads and candy, which tend to have way more sugar or glucose and is handled by the body differently. Again, we went over this in previous episodes, but when a cell is faced with letting in either vitamin C or glucose into the cell with just that one receptor, it will always choose glucose. So again, if vitamin C and glucose show up to the door of the house at the same time, they're only one of them are getting in and the, the door will always open for glucose over anything else because that's the body's number one fuel source. So when you have a diet that is low in fruits and veggies and high in sugar, remember fruits and veggies have vitamin C. So if you're low fruits and veggies, high in sugar, you aren't getting as much vitamin C to actually absorb. And if you aren't absorbing it, it's doing nothing for you. Also, ironically, vitamin C is an antioxidant and it scavenges for free radicals and sugar produces free radicals, but vitamin C can't do its job because it can't get into the cell to help neutralize the free radicals because the free radical producing glucose is let in instead. So irony is interesting, at least to me. A question I get asked a lot is, is there a safe amount of sugar to have? And the answer is yes, kind of. According to the American Heart Association's stance on it, women should have no more than six teaspoons, or again, about 24 grams of sugar, and men should have no more than nine teaspoons, or about 36 grams of sugar per day. This is per day. So if you go back to that single can of Coke example, drinking one can, which again has 39 grams of sugar in it, already puts you, whether you're a man or a woman, over the recommendation. Also, if you're wondering, kids over two have the same recommendations as adults, which is absurd and something I strongly hope is being reevaluated by somebody in the field. The effects of 24 grams of sugar on an adult-sized body versus a child-sized body is going to land differently. I, you know, don't, this didn't sit right with me and I dove a little deeper into it and I found some conflicting info on what is recommended for kids. One source said six teaspoons, one said up to nine teaspoons if they're 11 years old and up. So there's no official ruling on this at this time, or at least at the time of this recording, which again is mind blowing to me. There are even some people who dispute that sugar even impacts a child's behavior. Um, what? I haven't personally been a part of clinical trials or research on this, but as a mother of four small children, not only are the days they eat more sugar, like Halloween or birthday parties, bad, you know, behavior-wise or temperament-wise or whatever, the day after is usually a mess as well. I'm just saying. I'm sure I'm not the only one, but I don't need a funded research study to confirm that for me. I'm just throwing that out there. So let's talk about artificial sweetener because I could go on and on about the effects of, of sugar on children's bodies. Go back and listen to the, to the fatty liver disease episode, which is like 15, I think, where I talk about how it's impacting kids' brains and their bodies. Um, I, I have a soft spot or it's a little bit more of a sore spot right now for kids with sugar because nobody's doing anything about it. But let's switch gears and let's talk about artificial sweeteners because I know you're probably wondering about this. 
all you diet drink drinkers. I know we all likely started drinking them thinking we were cheating the system by getting something sweet for no calories, you know, yay. But as I've said before, just because something doesn't have calories doesn't mean it doesn't have an effect on your body. Ain't nothing comes for free in this world. Very similar to those chips back in the 90s. I know you remember those. If you were alive back in the 90s, you know what I'm talking about. Back when fat-free was the way to be and, and Lay's, I think it was Lay's potato chips came out with fat-free chips. Please, please tell me those aren't still around. I have not looked for them in the store, but I hope they're not still around. But we all got them thinking, hooray, we can eat to our heart's desire and not have any fat. And what happened? Our bodies were like, nope. And we all ended up with horrible stomach aches if you were lucky and mad dashes to the bathroom if you weren't as lucky. Again, ain't nothing for free, except diarrhea. So artificial sweeteners, like I've mentioned back in episode seven, are chemically formulated to be anywhere from 180 to 20,000 times sweeter than sugar. Think about that for a second. So many people talk about how addictive sugar is. And I agree, it is addictive. There's definitely scientific proof to show that. But is the answer really something that's manufactured to be 20,000 times sweeter just because it doesn't have calories? Is that the answer to getting rid of sugar? From a pharmacology standpoint, if you were addicted to, say, heroin and were trying to give that up, would you select a different drug that was 20,000 times stronger? Obviously, I'm exaggerating a little bit, and that's a crude example, but hopefully you can see the connection there. Artificial sweeteners are not the answer to getting off of sugar. They may not have calories, but they come with their own set of issues and problems that they cause on the body. Artificial sweeteners have been linked to metabolic syndrome, kidney function issues, microbiome or gut dysregulation issues, and even weight gain. Despite the fact that they don't have calories, they lead to weight gain. They mess with hormones. They mess with your hunger and full hormones. There's studies on that I can link in the show notes. They're a mess. So also, because they up that game when it comes to our palates or how sensitive we are to sweetness, remember, some of them are significantly sweeter than regular sugar. And it's causing us to need and crave more sweetness in order to satisfy the craving. So sugar and artificial sweeteners essentially make us crave more and change our palates so that we can actually not taste small amounts of sugar in foods until it reaches a larger amount in food that we're now used to. So for example, if you are used to drinking sweet tea, I'm picking on all my Southern friends for a second. If you are used to drinking sweet tea that has say two cups of sugar added per pitcher, Then you go to a friend's house and they make their pitcher of sweet tea with only one cup of sugar. It's going to taste bland or way less sweet because you're used to having two cups. But to someone who's not, who doesn't eat or drink sugar at all, even that one cup pitcher may taste too sweet. And that two cup may just, you know, send them over the edge of sweetness. Or have you ever looked at a food label on a food that you're eating or drinking or whatever, and you look at the sugar and you're like, holy cow, this actually has sugar in it. It doesn't taste sweet at all. Well, there's reasons for that. But the point is, is 
You know, are you not sensing that sugar in that food because you're so used to a heightened state of sweetness that even a small amount you can't you can't register? It doesn't register with you. There's an example. I think I might have given this. I've, I talk about it a lot, but there's an example of somebody who was trying to find low as as little sugar as possible in hot dog buns, and they looked and they found the lowest possible amount of sugar per hot dog bun and they took those home and they ate them and they said that they couldn't taste it it was as if there was no sugar in it at all which got them thinking well why is sugar in here anyways and they realized and they did some research and they figured out that it's to hide and to mask the flavor of the preservatives that are in there so if you see small amounts of sugar or sweeteners of some sort added to a food that isn't really sweet it's probably hiding chemical preservative flavors in the foods. That's my theory. It's not proven. Just throwing that out there. So the palate thing really piqued my interest. As you know, I'm a clinical nutritionist, and I'm also finishing up my doctorate in clinical nutrition. And my cohort that's going through the program uh, with me, or we're all going together, we read a lot of studies. We do a lot of investigating and collaborating and answer seeking. And it's safe to say I have a healthy, maybe not so healthy at times, interest in learning about human patterns when it comes to nutrition. I found a few studies that talked about how quickly our palates for sweetness can change for the better or for the worse, but it, it can happen relatively quickly. Two studies stated that research was done and showed that after simply two weeks of eliminating sugar, the participants no longer craved it. One even said that after six days, some people claimed cravings were gone. Not only do I find that intriguing, but with sugar's ability to impact so many other conditions like your skin and your mood and your gut and inflammation and joint pain, all those, what other symptoms would people notice if they reduce sugar and artificial sweeteners for two weeks? How much of a difference do you think you'd feel? Now, this may shock you or maybe not. I don't know. But my family has something sweet most days. I have dessert, my kids have some sort of dessert, my husband has dessert, most if not every day we have something. I do this as a way to introduce balance within my kids when it comes to sweets, but also out of habit, similar to you maybe. But reading these studies had me thinking, would I feel different if we only focus on whole foods for two weeks? And just to be super clear, I don't believe you have to eliminate sugar altogether. Many diets have you thinking this is necessary, but I think it can absolutely be enjoyed, even regularly enjoyed. But as we just talked about, sugar and artificial sweeteners have become far too prevalent in our diets, in foods that we may not even realize. And the impact on our health and how we feel can't be ignored. So I want to put this to the test. I created the 14-day sugar experiment to test out how we would all feel by reducing or eliminating sugar and artificial sweeteners from our diets for a short period of time. I want to see if the research that was done, which to be fair, was done on a relatively small sample size, by the way. I want to see though, if that could be translated to us. Now this experiment will start January 8th and run for 14 days. Um, within that time, I will provide you, if you choose to register and join the experiment, I'll provide you with some whole food recipes, snack ideas, breakfast, desserts, smoothies, all the things that you would need so that you can plan out your food for the week or two, prep some of the stuff ahead of time, set up your environment and be successful with the experiment. You do not have to only have the food 
recipes or, or meals that I suggest, if you have your own, as long as it's whole food and no added sugar, that's the goal. We will likely have some withdrawals, right? We've probably heard some of those stories. Maybe you've tried to reduce sugar before. Maybe you naturally gave up sugar on your own and you've got headaches or you got some, you know, weird symptoms. It could happen. It, all the research noted this occurred within the first two to four days uh, for those who were experiencing withdrawal symptoms. That's when you can rely on the support of not only myself, who will be going through the experiment as well, and I, you know, side note, have tons of tips and tricks to help support your body and your mind through that, but also the others going through the experiment too. I've set up a non-social media group chat, so it's not on Facebook, it's not on social media, it's a private group chat that we can support and hold each other accountable. Talking through the cravings and the barriers helps you get through them. It's so helpful if you've ever experienced that before. Knowing that it's normal, knowing, getting some good tips and tricks on how to get through those couple of days, it's so beneficial. And if the research is true, it won't take long before your body doesn't crave sugar anymore. I also want to see if there are any other physical, emotional, or mental symptoms that you notice. If you are game to test this out, then please join us for the 14-day sugar experiment. I'll put the link to register in the show notes. It's also on my website at foodfactornutrition.com. And you can either click on the annoying pop-up that comes up or by going to the services tab and then click on group programs. It's on there too. The cost to participate is just $25. And if you decide to do this with a spouse or a partner or somebody that lives in your household, you can get $10 off when they enroll too. So when we get closer to January 8th, I'll be sending those who enrolled a pre-experiment assessment to fill out. And at the end of the experiment, I'll send you a post-experiment survey to fill out. This will be how we can see what the changes you notice will be. If you've ever done something like this before, sometimes you've seen that the changes are so subtle because you're going through it. But when you look back on it, you're like, oh yeah, I totally forgot I'd have headaches every morning or whatever. And until you can actually capture that, it tends to get missed. So this is why the assessments are done before and after the experiment. I want to catch every possible thing that you notice, whether it's good, bad, ugly, beautiful, whatever, I want to capture it all. All the info, of course, is just for entertainment and informative purposes. It's not an actual research study. It's not being funded. Not, none of this data goes anywhere. It's just for me. I mean, I will I will create a podcast follow-up episode just to show everyone kind of what we learned during the two weeks. But it's all anonymous. It's Nothing is attached to your name. None of it. But I'd love to see what you notice after just two weeks. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. But please... Make sure to enroll prior to January 8th so that you have enough time to clean out your environment, aka your pantry and your fridge and prep some healthy and nourishing meals and get yourself ready for a successful experiment. Again, register in the link in the show notes or on the on foodfactornutrition.com. And thank you for listening and hanging out with me for this episode. If you found it helpful, you can share it with a friend or a family member. There's nothing more loving than sending someone some useful information that maybe they could use and you never know what will impact somebody. So I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful rest of the week. Bye. Bye.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Food Factor Podcast. It is my personal mission to help people make the best food choices that they can for their particular situation. So if you found this episode helpful, I would be so grateful if you would share it with a friend or a family member or somebody who needs to hear this information and also leave me a review. Those are the things that help get this podcast seen and heard by more people who could use the help as well. I really appreciate your support. Thank you so much for listening.